So today we're going to be doing Habakkuk 3. Um, Habakkuk 3 is the resolve of the book. We know that at the beginning, Habakkuk starts with complaints. And he's, God was okay with his complaints and questions. God didn't smite him. It seems that God is okay if we genuinely look to him and say, I have questions. I don't know this. God, what are you doing? God, show me who you are. And Habakkuk asked God a whole ton of questions, even accused God of being unjust. And, and, and just like blunt, God, I have a complaint with what you're doing. And God reveals his larger mission to, ha to Habakkuk, um, and in that there's a promise embedded in it. See, the promise is that that God, in his mission, will bring judgment on the Chaldeans. And God's name will be known, after all, that, that this will happen. And so even though it looked like in the short term that God was, was abandoning his promises of making Israel um, the, the nation, it looked like God was abandoning his people, God showed Habakkuk, no, you're seeing a short perspective. I'm going to show you the longer perspective. And that is where God has shown Habakkuk at this point. So what I want to ask you today as we read the text is, as, as we get right into the beginning of the text, what do you think gives Habakkuk hope? What do you think gives Habakkuk hope? We're going to read Habakkuk 3, 1 to 6. What do you think gives Habakkuk hope? A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shigonoth. It's not English. Shigonoth. There we go. Verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In your wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from his hand. Where his power was hidden, plagues went before him. Pestilence followed his step. He stood, the earth shook. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient, the ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. So in verse 2, what gives Habakkuk hope? What do, what do we see there? I'll, I'll read it one more time. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Where's Habakkuk's hope? And while you're coming up with answers, I want you to consider the context. Habakkuk's a man of God that was from the people of God. And because of the promise, the position that God had given them, the Israel was better than the nations around. They had the blessing of God. They were the people of God. And we talked about how sometimes as, as church, we feel like we're the people in the right. We feel like we're the people of God, of course. And so Israel should, should not be subjected to violence shouldn't be subjected to this judgment, especially from a nation that was lesser than them in their minds and their perspective. Yet God's taken this entire exchange to show that God was going to do, to use the Chaldeans to bring judgment on God's people. So 
Where do you find hope in all of this? Where did, where did Habakkuk find hope? What was, what was his hope based on? I think Habakkuk sees God's longer plan. Habakkuk sees God's longer plan, doesn't he? The passage outlines, the passage outlines that respect the actual fear of God because God's infinitely more powerful than Habakkuk, yet God still planned salvation. Like, look at that. Like, the verse even includes a plea for mercy. In your wrath, remember mercy. You know, it's like, it's like we're looking at this going like, wow, God, someone wrote, someone wrote that, that, we, that Habakkuk would have seen hope in what God has done or will do, and, or, you know, his previous actions, the hope that God will intervene again. He sees hope in that. Repeat them in this day. But he also sees humility in that. He's like, God, I can't stop your hand, but please remember mercy. Like, like, he's at this place where he's like, the mercy in light of God's power, it's only by God's mercy, this is actually, it's only by God's mercy that we're considered important. It's only because God is merciful that we are even valuable. He chooses to. Nobody's forced, there is no law on God that says, because you made humanity, you have to value them. Nobody's enforcing that on God. Nobody's saying, God, this is, you know, that's important. No. God chooses it because he chooses to. That's his power. It's his strength. It's his decision. He wants to love us, show mercy to us, give us grace. It is, it is his mercy that allows us to, uh, to know so this is, we're able to see God's longer plan. And, and, and in God's power, we're able to see that he truly does have control over everything. In God's power, we're able to see that, that God does have a plan. So are you in your situation where, where things get hopeless? I don't know, maybe you've been there. I know I've been there in the blizzard yesterday. Where, where I was like, oh my gosh, is winter ever going to come to an end? Someone was telling me today that they were, that they were driving yesterday and the snowbanks were so, uh, last night and the snowbanks were so high, they're just blowing over the front of the car, just, like just plowing through. Like, is winter ever going to come to an end? I know it's superficial, but, but the hope is in God's power. And so Habakkuk, as we go through this passage that I just read, the son of... And, and we keep on going a little bit more than what I just read. We see, we see that the, the sun and the moon, you know, respect that you marched on earth in fury. You went out the salvation of people, of the salvation of your anointed one. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying, laying him bare from thigh to neck. Your power can take control of the worst situations. God's power can take control of the worst situations. So as someone else wrote, that, that he had hope that God would revive his work even if it wasn't going to be pleasant. Frank reflected on the, on the New Testament, faith is the substance of things hoped for, and Habakkuk had faith in God's faithfulness. We had, we had hope 
that God was going to use his power, use his might, use his ability to intervene. And he knew that because God had done it in the past, he would do it again. That's the song that we sang. The third song we sang today was, I thought the walls would fall by now. I thought that I would have been reprieved of this terrible situation. But God's going to do it again. And that's the hope that Habakkuk uses as his foundation. And that's a hope that we use as our foundation. That God is faithful and he will do it again. He will continually do it. Psalm 27. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Thank you for that. So, was was Habakkuk's questioning of God required to bring Habakkuk to a greater understanding of God? Was Habakkuk's questioning of God required to bring Habakkuk to a greater understanding of God? A little bit of an opinion question there, right? What what do you think? What do you think that, that that is? See, God disciples us and moves us onward. We start as a person who sees the status quo and says, yeah, okay, well, good enough. Because we use comparative judgment. That's just normal human social behavior. I've talked to many people. I, I had a friend back when I was much younger. He started getting drug involved. And he, he, was, he was very adamant that he wasn't as bad as his friends that he went to parties with. What he didn't recognize is through the next 12 months of his life, in order for him to stay not as bad as his friends he went to parties with, his friends changed, and he continued to slip into further and further drug abuse. Never once did he, did he say in that period of time, whoa, I have a problem. Whoa, I'm one of the worst. Because of comparative judgment. Of comparative judgment. He always saw, oh, there's somebody worse than I am, so I'm okay. And we do this in so many ways in our life. It's our standard way of, go, of, of going through it. Yeah, we're good enough. We're good enough. I look at the other Christians around me, and I look at the other people around me, and then the non-Christians. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm clearly good enough. And we don't say it out loud because that's just rude. I mean, I just said it from the pulpit, but, you know. And, 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 we, and we have this sense of security because of whatever we chose the checkboxes were, we do them. And the checkboxes are different for other people. That causes conflict sometimes. But, you know, we do them. We're, we're pretty good. But God disciples us and moves us forward. God lays down a challenge saying, you're not where I want you to be, and I'm not done shaping you. And that's what God's doing in Habakkuk to to Judah, the, the leftover, the remnant of Israel. God is doing that to Habakkuk because he's saying, he's saying, you think that, that you're better than the Chaldeans, but you're not where I want you to be. You're not honoring me. 
You're not there yet, and so I have more work to do in you. I will shape you. And we see that God's entire plan was to throw them into exile so that they would be refined, so that they would come out with a passion and an expectation of God's action, which is what happened. And so God is changing that, and he's challenging us, and he's saying, i got to move you on. You might feel like you're comfortable, but I'm going to bring something in your life that's going to make you question. I'm going to bring something in your life, a sharp edge of refining that's going to make you question. It's going to make you say, oh, God, that's not comfortable. I'm not enjoying that. God, where are you? What are you doing? So my question was, was Habakkuk's questioning of God required to bring Habakkuk to greater understanding of God? Someone wrote, understanding comes from questioning. Out of the dialogue with God, we come to see things more clearly. And so, so we see this as so valuable. We don't know how God is going to intercede for us or those we pray for, but we know his character shown in what he has done in the past because of who he is. And so we're able to start to see in our times of questioning, we're able to start to see God's faithful action and it changes our expectation, changes our view of God. Just like our prayer today was start with, God, here's what's wrong. Move into, God, this is what I think you should do. And start to explore what has God done in the past. Our understanding of God is challenged and we grow. We grow in strength in that. I'm not done shaping you. God then does something seen unjust and we question it. So let's, let's, read, let's read where this goes. Actually, someone just wrote this and it's really good. I think... It was required for Habakkuk to question because without questions, he could try to take on a problem that he couldn't solve. Frustration from being powerless in dire situation could lead to rash and ignorant decisions. That's so insightful. So insightful. Because, because what happened is he was able to root himself in what God does and it actually probably saved him from making rash and ignorant decisions. Well said. So Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19, this is where the whole process leaves us. After we go through the process of, of, of questioning God, of having the audacity to come to God and say, God, what are you doing? And God has the patience and the mercy to reveal more to, uh, more to ourselves. This is what we're left with. Habakkuk has this new form of understanding a reality. Watch this, Habakkuk 17, 19. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though produce of the olive oil fail, and the field yields no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, there will be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places to the, to the choir master with stringed instruments. I highlighted that for some reason. 
The eternal perspective worked out by Habakkuk is a significant change to his starting place. Let's, let's compare the beginning of the book to the end of the book. Chapter 1, 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you look idly at wrong? Right? You see that insolent, self-righteous approach to God. And through the process of the questioning, where God drags him through by hanging him onto the mission, the perspective totally changes to the fig tree should, though the fig tree should not blossom and fruit be on the vine. That's bad. The produce of the olive fails. That's really bad. The field yields no, no food. That's terrible. The flock is cut off from the fold, and there's no herd in the stalls. This is a crisis. Yet, I'll rejoice in the Lord. Wait a second. This is only two chapters later. Why do you make me see iniquity? Why don't you look idly at wrong? I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I'm going to take joy in the Lord God, my salvation. What happened? Well, I'll tell you what happened. God showed his mission to drag Habakkuk through his questions and said, here we go. Let's let you land on this. So God never changed in all that Habakkuk went through. Never changed. And in fact, this story was foretelling what God was going to do. So Habakkuk hadn't even gone through it yet. The Chaldeans hadn't yet attacked. He's, he's seeing what's coming. He knows it's going to be a rough season ahead. He's seeing it. And it's already resolved in his heart so that when it comes, he's secure and ready. When it comes, he was able to trust in God. He knew that a hard time was coming. And his faith was prepared in advance. Like Habakkuk, God anchors us in his mission to bring us through our questions. And so we see that, that God dislodges us from our complacency, from our comparative justice, and he drives us to understand God more. God's will is to bring us to absolute trust in God that he's going to bring about his salvation above all else. That's his will for you. If you're watching online for the first time, that's his will for you. That, that God wants to bring you to a place where you absolutely trust him and to bring about his salvation above everything else. So today, I'm going to end with a challenging question, but not really. Here's a question that I want to hear. Or I want to hear the answers too. If you could ask God anything, if you could ask God anything, something that you struggle with, something that's challenging you, something that's like, I don't really get what you're doing, God. If you could ask God anything, what would you ask him? God may not answer you directly, immediately, but he might. It actually might be shocking. Because he does. See, he didn't even answer Habakkuk directly. 
He didn't answer his question directly, but he did answer in a way that totally rocked Habakkuk's perspective. Habakkuk was changed. The questions that he brought to God changed Habakkuk. What questions do you have? What questions do you have that you want to bring to God that he would change you to be, so that you can know him more? This isn't about us changing God. This is about us being changed by God. God, I don't have an understanding about this. Let me show you who I am, says God. See, God reveals himself to Habakkuk, but it's because Habakkuk, even with his wrong assumptions, loved God and pursued God. Sometimes even in my, my Christian life, I have wrong assumptions about God. I thought God was going to do one thing, and he's planning to do another. But I love God. My prayer for this church is that we would grow in our love of God and our pursuit of God. It's not enough for us to have simply come to church, feel good about ourselves, and as better than the people who don't come to church. It's our job to simply pursue God beyond what we already know about him, to love him, to drive our hearts and minds and, and actions towards him. If you've been in church for you know, over 30 years, you might have all the sermons down pat. And that's fine. That's awesome, actually. But God is still present and active, and we need to see what is God doing? How is God expressing himself? And we need to be pursuing God. If you've been a Christian for under 30 years, it's not enough for you to simply say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus. But it's about diving into a deeper understanding of God. God, who are you truly? I desire to know you. I read Psalm 119. It happens to be the longest chapter in the Bible, but in it, it's like, teach me your way. I want to know you more. I don't understand you yet. Show me your, your precepts. Teach me how you work. I want to know what makes you tick. Let's know that. <laughs> A couple of questions. I would ask him to show me the beginning of it all. God, what was it like? good it's good God's bigger than you think God's beyond your imagination and God will reveal himself to you when you seek him Lord Jesus I pray most of all that we will be a people that seek you that we will be a people that know you that love you that desire to know more about you. God, that we would be a people that ask you questions, that we would increase in our curiosity about you, that our exploration of you would be, would be full of wonder and awe because you are limitless and amazing. You are glorious and faithful. You are almighty God, all-powerful one. You are absolutely amazing. And so, God, we give you praise. We thank you. We pray you would bless this church. Draw us near to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you very much, Promise Church. We pray that you'll be blessed and have a great week. God bless you.